Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts and minds of your faithful people. Lord, prepare these to be confirmed and received, that they may enter the fellowship of your church. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, greetings, St. Peter's Cathedral. It is so good to be back with you. Jody and I are feeling more and more at home, not only in Tallahassee, but also here at our cathedral home. You are about 10 minutes from our house, and so we enjoy the short drive as compared to the long drives that oftentimes accompanies the life of a bishop. So thank you for your greeting to me this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I was... Uh, just minding my own business, reading a book in the evening, and I received a call from my daughter, and she told me that I needed to get, a, get on a, a FaceTime chat with my niece, Anna, from Georgia. And so, of course, I did that. Uh, Anna is 14 years old, lives in West Georgia, which is where our families are from, and Anna was distraught. She had received a TikTok video some of you know what a TikTok video is. I personally have never been on TikTok, but I know what TikTok is. And this TikTok video was disturbing her because it was outlining several videos that had been pieced together that were all indicating that the, the attack of Hamas on Israel was in fact a part of the end times. Now, I began to be very suspect when one of their points of fact was that the river Euphrates makes the symbol of the Omega, and of course we all know that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, and I said to Anna, Anna, come on, this is ridiculous. But she was distressed by it, because the events of the current time were causing her to wonder if, in fact, this was the end of the world. I reminded her that Israel had been attacked before, and in 1967, there was a miraculous turning back of Muslim forces, Arab forces, that would have overrun Israel. I also took her straight to our gospel passage this morning, where Jesus says in verse 32 of chapter 13, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father concerning that day or hour. Well, we were able to calm Anna down, and by the grace of God, she was able to go to sleep that night. But as I began to prepare this sermon on the first Sunday of Advent, that, that encounter was in my heart and mind. After all, chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel is all about, the context all around it is about Jesus staring off at the temple, the disciples admiring its structure, its form, its architectural wonder, as it was in the time of the, of the world. And yet Jesus prophesies that there will come a time when every stone will be knocked down. And of course, he was prophesying the 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 67 to 70, somewhere in there, A.D., destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans. But it, for the disciples, began to be a question of when? What's the sign? And it was, in fact, the same thing that Anna had asked. Is this the time? Is this the end of the world? 
Well, I'm here to tell you that verse 32 reminds us that no man knows the hour of the day, not the angels in heaven, not even the Son of God, but only the Father. But I do believe that Advent gives us that opportunity to refix our minds the point of all history, where all things are moving, and not to feel as if history is simply cyclical. Advent, as you know, reminds us that even as we prepare for the incarnation, Jesus' first birth, his birth into this world as an infant, a helpless infant child, and we prepare ourselves for Christmas, and oh, isn't it a wonderful time? We are also called to meditate and ponder on Christ's return, his second advent, his second coming. After all, as our liturgy reminds us, and we will say together in a few minutes, Christ will come again. Now, there are two historic responses to the idea of the second coming of Christ, two ways that humans have tended to respond. One is to fix on a date, to do the very thing that Anna was trying to do, which is determine whether or not this, in fact, was the end time. Some of you are old enough to remember Hal Lindsey in his book in the 80s, The Late Great Planet Earth. Oh my gosh, I'm glad we're past that stage where we were fascinated by end times constantly. And in that, you can be assured that the Thessalonians, if you want to go to a book of the Bible that describes this perspective, it's the Thessalonians. As a matter of fact, some of them had given up their jobs and were simply focused on waiting until Christ's return. Paul has to speak and correct into that. It's like, if you will, given the weekend we're on, it's as if we're college football fans sitting in the stands. I know you can't imagine that. Congratulations to some of you. But it's as if we're just simply spectators, holding our breath and wishing that our team wins, hoping that the end will come, but seeing ourselves as paralyzed and without any action to take fixed on the date and time. The other equal and opposite response that humans often have is to settle into the routine of life and practically speaking or otherwise to assume that Christ in fact won't return, that this world is all there is and that it will just simply go on and on. Some 19th century theologians actually concluded that Jesus had been wrong that he prophesied the end of the world would come in his lifetime or within the lifetime of his disciples, and so he was wrong. We reject that, of course. But the Corinthians, if you want a book of the Bible, the Corinthians are those who tended to think, no, the second coming is, this is all there is. We are actually living in this new creation and there is nothing still to come. I'm reminded of Jesus' parable in the end of Matthew, and by the way, if you think this is marginal, Jesus does spend a good bit of time talking about his second return. He tells a long parable in Matthew chapter 24 in which he says that the master's servants become convinced that the master is going to be delayed for a great while and Jesus puts on their lips these words, they began to beat their fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. They began to settle into the routine and assume that the Lord will not return to judge the living and the dead. And, and so our actions 
and how we treat one another are inconsequential. Well, as you might expect, Jesus has a different, a third response, the correct response to how we're to respond to the reality that Christ will come again. And it's found at the end of the verses that you're given there in chapter 13 of Mark's gospel. Jesus says in verse 33, we are to be on guard, to keep awake, watchfulness and alertness. And if you happen to have been with us at the Senate a couple of weeks ago, the beginning of November, you heard me preach from 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul also calls the church to not be fixated on a date, but rather to be awake, to be alert. In other words, to hold the tension between the hope, the promise of Christ's return, where he will make all things new, as Revelation tells us, and the present suffering of this world in this age that is very difficult to comprehend. If Christ is king of the universe, then why do wars and pestilence and famines and extreme rainfalls continue in our world? Well, for me, my favorite type of movie are the ones in which it looks as if evil is going to win to the very end. If you're a Marvel fan, the end time, right? The end game movie, everything is dark and bleak and the world is destroyed. And it seems as if the heroes or hero has been defeated. But critical to the plot of the movie, there is some hidden, some circumstance that's been done, something that's been altered. Frodo and Sam Wise are destroying the ring even as the armies of Mordor seem to be defeating our heroes. Iron Man has stolen the jewels from Thanos' snap. If you don't understand that reference, these young compromands do. <laughs> it's at that moment that the hidden facts, the truth, the reality comes to life, becomes revealed. It's already happened, but the characters don't know until the end of the story. And so it is for us. As we celebrate the last year of our liturgical season last week and celebrate that in fact Christ is king, that he is reigning at the right hand of the Father, that he who ascended to the Father, the ascension, probably the most underrated holy day of our calendar, that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, already ruling and reigning from heaven, but we can't yet see it in its fullness. And so evil continues, seemingly to be winning, when all along the victory is Christ our Lord's. You see, there was another day, the reference to our scripture in the very first verse says, but in those days, that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. In that description, which of course is the end time, it is when Jesus is prophesying that at the end there will be darkness. But there was another day where darkness filled the world. And it was... In Jerusalem, 
at Calvary as Christ hangs upon the cross. And Mark, the same gospel writer, will record that the sun was darkened over the whole earth because in that moment, Christ came to bring us his victory. Decisively defeating sin and death and hell. And all observed his crucifixion. But only a few were present to know and understand his resurrection. Three days later. And so the kingdom is hidden. It's not fully been manifest. But this becomes the hope of the gospel. The grace of our Lord. That, in fact, the end times, Christ's return was not instantaneously, but it is in an age, it is a time period that we are moving forward. And the church, historically, has always understood itself to be living in this in-between time. Between Christ's first coming in humility and meekness and lowliness, that we who are unclean, as Isaiah says in chapter 64, might repent and turn and respond to Christ the King. Friends, that's what Jesus is referring to when he says that this generation will not pass away before it sees the coming of the kingdom. It is the fact that these who are hearing him will be observers, witnesses to not only his crucifixion, but his resurrection. That they might proclaim that the kingdom has come in our midst. And we are now living in the last and end times. Hidden now. But one day to be fully revealed. Christ will come again. But it is not yet. And so we are called to live watchful lives. Alert lives. And isn't it interesting that Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 will say the very same words. Stay awake, be alert, don't be asleep, be prepared. Now, it's not as if we're supposed to be like Anna, just over fixated on the date. But we're to live lives that matter, watchful, ready, sober, prepared for Christ's return. Because our lives matter. And because there's a work to be done in this time, Bishop Leslie Newbegin described our response to be one of patient hope, patient with the Lord's tarrying, which is his grace, waiting for many to respond and repent. And let me tell you, it is happening. I know an Anglican priest who established 11 churches within Turkey, among Iranians who had dreams and visions and have been called to follow Isa, Jesus in Arabic, and now are a part of the emerging Muslim background believer churches all over the world. The largest Iranian Christian church in the world is in San Jose, California. It's happening. I've spoken with a young Iraqi soldier who was in a protest because he was so disenfranchised by what he was seeing in the war going on within Iraq. And he runs away from the battle and he runs into a Christian missionary who hands him a pamphlet 
And over the course of a matter of weeks and months, he comes to understand that Isa, Jesus in Arabic, is in fact the Messiah. I have a friend, Jack, who has worked in television and broadcast journalism for the last 40 years, and he tells me that as he's been a, a part of pumping in satellite communication evangelistic material into the Muslim world, they are seeing thousands upon thousands of Muslims who are turning to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Friends, because of God's long-suffering, because of his patience, we too are called to be patient, that many might bend the knee and follow Christ, but hopeful of his return, which will come. Quickly, a couple of applications. If Christ calls us to be watchful, then I think the first application is that we need to guard against being dull. Be guarded against dullness. Even as our, we enjoy our lives and we enjoy the season of the, of the year, be careful that your distractions, that your entertainment do not numb you from watchfulness. And secondly, watch for signs of the kingdom. I was privileged yesterday afternoon to meet with the confirmands of all ages and to hear their testimony. They are awake. They are alert. They make this moment today to confirm or to be received out of an awareness that God is calling them to take their next step. I heard it over and over again. What about you and me? Are we prepared? Are we awake? Are we ready to take the call? Oh, friends, we have a God who intervenes, who comes to the aid of those who wait upon him. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Our call is to be ready, to be watchful, to be alert. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.